is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 177 of the Rebel Author Podcast. It's a special week this week. You will have already had the bonus episode, uh, Lessons Learned, which hopefully will go live uh, on or around launch day. And then this is the other episode where JJ Arias turned the tables on me and interviewed me for uh, my launch week. So thank you so much, JJ. You know I love you. You're a hero. Uh, So yes, I hope you guys enjoy um, (laughs) my much squealing, (laughs) to be honest, in this episode. But first to last week's question, which was, what trait or skill do you value in yourself? We had a ton of comments, so thank you so much to everybody uh, who did comment. Natasha Back says, perseverance. I have faced much adversity in the past six months and and it continues. However, I won't let it deter me from following my dreams and making the best life for me. I love that. I, I, love perseverance as a trait and as you can hear duchess is trying to join in this podcast okay so sorry for the meowing in the background uh, kate holdsworth says number f- my number five discipline everybody drink is my most valued trait it syncs with my number four achiever and forces me back into the manuscript i'm always grateful for that once i get there even though it doesn't sound like it at the time um HB Line says, I particularly value my ability to see an issue from multiple points of view and empathise with people whose experiences are different from my own. It's a handy ability in life and writing. Taryn says, I am answering the question, engaging. The trait I value in myself is empathy. Someone said to me this week that I make people feel comfortable to be themselves and I felt so touched by that. Also vampire novels, (laughs) my catnip too. (laughs) Yeah, I love, well, I know, you know, I've already told you that. So thank you to Rand underscore O underscore Commando, uh, Ian Worrell, Eden Collier and Yanni Jade who also answered the question. This week's question is, tell me about a moment in your life you'll never forget. And by the, so the most obvious ones are, of course, the moment your children are born um, or the day that you get married. So let's let's not do that. Let's do, you know, anything other than uh, baby birth or marriage, because I suspect otherwise those will be the ones that come up most commonly. Uh, so, yeah, tell me about and it can be anything, literally anything like a memory that seems insignificant, but actually you've never forgotten it. It could be a moment of kindness. It could be uh, a random adventure. It could be something you're proud of. I don't mind. But tell me about a moment in your life you'll never forget. The book recommendation of the week this week is Profit First, Transform Your Business from a Cash-Eating Monster to a Money-Making Machine by Mike Michalowicz, I think is how you say his name. Um, anyway, the link will be in the show notes for that. I This is obviously non-fiction. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I have already started to change the way I am uh, working with money and I actually, for once in my life, think I will probably reread this book because um, there's quite a lot of actions that you need to take. And uh, I started reading it in audio and well I read it in audio and then brought the Kindle and then was like actually you know what I think I probably need the physical book so that I can mark it up and sort of tab where actions are is a very action oriented um 
book and I really liked the ethos behind uh, Profit First and how it changes your mindset in your business. So yeah, I am actually going to go back and reread it and implement uh, more of the actions. I've already started implementing some of them. Um, so yeah, I really highly recommend this for all authors. So as I record this, it is Thursday the 9th of February and it is the day before the launch. <laughs> I am so ridiculously excited. I'm in such a weird place. I've spent most of this week feeling a bit numb to it all. Um, the pre-order numbers have gone way over and above what anything I expected, which is fantastic. But then like, I have moments of sheer panic when I'm like, oh, well, everybody's pre-ordered it. And what if it doesn't do well in KU? Because like, how do I get traffic to KU? And yes, I know ads and, you know, but like all of these stupid things are going through my brain and just I'm torturing myself because it's like the long, slow wait before tomorrow. And the thing is, the fucking hilarious thing is, how many books have I launched now? I literally can't even tell you. Uh, and I know that tomorrow is going to be anticlimactic because it is every single launch. Um, but nonetheless, I am excited uh, in a way and dead on the inside in another. <laughs> oh, what am I like? So yeah, I don't... I don't know. I'm just, let me first of all say thank you so much to everybody who has supported me on this. There are way too many people to, to count, but to everybody who read an advanced copy, everybody who sent me messages of support along the way, who's been following the journey, uh, everybody who's helped to promote and share it, everybody who's pre-ordered a copy, everybody who's going to read it in KU, um, the coaches, like literally... I am so grateful and like humbled by the support I have had for this book. I am just so excited to share it. That's the bit I'm excited for is to is to see it in people's hands and to see those reactions and hopefully <laughs> fingers fucking crossed, uh, everybody enjoys it as much as I enjoyed writing it. Um, yeah, it's just been a completely different experience, this book. Uh, it's The whole journey has been filled with joy and I am buzzed off my titties to write book two. I like, I literally am chomping at the bit now. I think I'm gonna have to write some flash fiction like mini stories for it before uh, I cut like whilst we're in Paris or whatever because I just, I'm like chomping at the bit to start writing it now. Um, so yeah, like thank you so much. And I hope that the lessons learned episode proves useful and helpful uh, to you. And so, yeah. Okay. So where am I? I have, um, as you know, I binned the first 30K and I re-outlined the story. I'm extremely pleased I did that. I have simplified it. It is now going to be a second chance romance. Um, and it's a long con and there's a bunch of other tropes in there that I love. Um, but so I'm very, very excited. It feels like the right story now. I finished the outline. I'm now padding the outline, like just trying to put in uh, more details and things so that I can like think about it. I will read this outline about 17 million times before uh, I get to the 20th when I start writing. So I've been working on that. I've been working on um, freelance and uh, a couple of presentations. I'm presenting Fictionary. I think I'll have already done that by the time this goes live. Um, and then like basically having a week off next week, if I'm honest, I'll be working Monday and then I won't be working the rest of the week because we are going to be in Paris and I really need 
the time off. <laughs> Surprising no one. So uh, yes, and then when I come back, I will be starting to draft book two. And then after book two, I go into creating a course. I have, that's what I will be doing in April. And then I will be drafting The Villain's Journey in May. Sh- as lo- that's as long as I stay on schedule. Ha ha ha. And I'm laughing hysterically because, well, we all know what schedules are like. <laughs> So before we dive uh, into the Rebel of the Week and the episode and the other bits and bobs, I just want to say a huge thank you to JJ for taking the time out to interview me. I adore her and uh, I adore this episode. It is super fun. Okay, Rebel of the Week this week is Dorian Skioka. And Dorian says... As the middle child, I was born to be a rebel, no more so than as a teenager. I was a careful rebel, though, a smart rebel. I lived by the mantra, it's all fun and games until someone gets caught. So I was always careful to not get caught. Until the one time I wasn't quite careful enough. My high school friends and I used to hang out in a large group. There were seven of us. Most of us were from middle class homes, but there was one friend who lived in a very posh neighbourhood with parents who worked late and were rarely home. (laughs) I can see where this is going. The perfect hangout spot for a bunch of teenagers. One Friday evening in the middle of summer after spending the afternoon at the pool, we were all at her house complaining about the heat. My friend pulled out her pool key to the neighbourhood pool. Let's go back. We'll just have to be quiet because the pool's closed, she said. And we all agreed. It was nearly midnight, but without a care in the world, we walked over to the pool, broke in after hours and began having our own little pool party. One of my gr- one of the group happened to be my boyfriend at the time. I care. I dare you to go skinny dipping, he said. Stupid teenage me never turned down a dare. I stripped off my swimsuit and held it up for him to witness. <laughs> enjoying the carefree feeling i began swimming around the deeper end with swimsuit in hand that is oh no (laughs) i knew where this was going and it still doesn't disappoint oh that is until i noticed a flashlight in my face and heard the words this is the police get out of the pool (laughs) my friends all jumped out quickly obeying the two tired and very disgruntled police officers standing on the pool deck while I watched from the deep end still with swimsuit in hand you too miss one of the police officers said motioning for me to get out but I um I'm just a minute I couldn't tell the police officer I was naked so I did my best to shimmy into my swimsuit while treading water (laughs) not an easy feat But after several minutes of nearly drowning, I finally pulled up the straps and climbed the ladder out of the pool. But as soon as... (laughs) This is hilarious. But as soon as I stood up, I realised my mistake. I had put the swimsuit on inside out. The ugly beige bra and inner lining of the suit gave away exactly what I had been doing. I stood shivering and shamefaced, listening to the police officers yell at us for getting them called out here. All while I hoped neither of them noticed my strange inside-out suit. Luckily, since we were all minors, the police let us go with a stern talking to and a reminder to never do that again. And I never did. 
get caught. I mean, once was bad enough. <laughs> oh my goodness me. I fucking loved that rebellion. That is a proper teen rebellion. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for sending that in. If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. We are always, always in need of stories, so please do send them in. You can email them to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome and a huge thank you to Ryan and Katrina Marie uh, for becoming patrons. I really, really appreciate the support. I appreciate all of my existing patrons, old, new, somewhere in between. You guys help to keep the the show running and you also make me feel like what I do is um, helping and worthwhile. So thank you so, so much. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content like our Poison and Prose sessions, the Rebel Masterclasses, the Slack community, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okay, that is it from me. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I'm super excited today because the tables are being turned on me and I am going to be the guest. Uh, So a huge thank you to JJ Arias. JJ is an Amazon best-selling independent author writing about fictional lesbians of all varieties. She started out writing fan fiction until she decided to stop stringing together pieces of subtext and start writing her her own main text stories about LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. JJ is a first generation Cuban American who was born and raised in Miami, Florida. She is an obnoxiously Scorpio woman married to a uniquely tolerant cancer lady. They live together in South Florida with two unhinged cats, a melancholy pit bulls and an aggressive parakeet, which is the best bio ever. I love it. Uh, what's it like keeping a parakeet? Um, she is very unfriendly and <laughs> um, does not enjoy us putting our hand in the cage even to like change and clean it. So my wife is the only one who can do it because I call her human Xanax. So she's very calming. So she the, cat, the bird sees me coming and it immediately panics. No. So she's able to go in and take care of it. Um, and basically we just keep her alive and as happy as we can. We keep her in a window. She likes that very much. She gets very irate and we have to move her away from the window or something. Um, so she is not, she doesn't want to be touched, looked at, um, interacted with in any way. Yeah, so it's really fun. Does she ever fly around the house? She once did get away, um, which is terrifying because of the aforementioned cats and pit bull. And she mm-hmm. is very small. Um, but she doesn't like it. So we did try that uh, to kind of like let her, it, she panics. It's too sort of too big. And she okay. you know, okay. herself. Oh, bless her. Yeah. Well, yep. Thank you so much for turning the tables on me. And of course, I am going to have you back on the show for everybody listening. So JJ is going to come on uh, in, in a few episodes time. We're going to record that. Um, and it will be all about conflict and romance. So you've got that to look forward to. But... Today, I, I, I guess I'm just going to hand you the the, <laughs> the, the mic. <laughs> I feel like I need like a mustache twirling moment. You do it, do it. Just to just laugh. Um, <laughs> I'm terrified, literally terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be gentle. Uh, so thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. I feel like we've been talking about 
your book and this process for so long. And I'm so excited that you're going to share this with your listeners who I think are going to love the story as much as I did. Oh, um, thank you. And hopefully I won't do any accidental spoilers. I'm very nervous. <laughs> no, about- don't be nervous. I will try my best not to spoil. I think there's, you have to talk about some parts of it because otherwise you, you just, you just can't like convey uh, anything, but we will do our best not to spoil her. Yeah, and you've done some really amazing things in the story. So I it'll be hard to hint at them <laughs> and leave them a satisfying discovery for the readers. Um, but will you read it, the blurb to kind of give us an idea of, of your gorgeous creation? I will. Okay, so uh, this is for A Game of Hearts and Heists, which is the first in the Girl Game series. And the blurb goes like this. Two enemies, one girl, steal each other's hearts. Scarlet Grey, disgraced assassin, is determined to get revenge. Quinn Adams, medic turned poisoner for hire, is her deadliest rival. For years, they've stolen each other's clients, sabotaged each other's businesses, and occasionally slept together. When the Magician Queen offers an irresistible deal, Scarlet and Quinn are forced to work together. But this is not a simple job. With an impossible heist ahead, they're going to have to trust each other. And that's not easy when they both have secrets to hide. Harder still when those secrets will betray the ones they love. Now, neither woman is sure if if it's a heist they want to win or a heart. Two women, two deadly professions, and a romance that could be their downfall. Ah, so good. <laughs> <Send ovation. laughs> That's a really good blurb, by the way. I don't think I had reread it after having read the story, and it's really good. Like it really captures the tone. Really oh, well. you, you know what you're doing. Like you're. <laughs> I mean, I've been here a while. No, so, okay, so complete actual, uh, complete truth on that. Um, I I drafted a blurb, but I find it very difficult to draft without a tagline. And I knew that I wanted the tagline to uh, refer to the enemies. And so I'd sort of butchered a few. And then I used um, chat GP t- GP3 or whatever oh, it's called. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. And after I'd heard it on Joanna Penn's podcast, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to give this a go. Um so I stuck my scraps of a um, blurb in there and I asked it, first of all, for taglines. And so it twisted the things that I had done and made like much better taglines. And that was one of its taglines yeah. um, kind of based on what I put in. And then um, so then I took the tagline out and I rewrote my blurb to kind of match the tagline. Um, and then I put the, that draft back in and asked it to make it sound like a best selling blurb. And actually, um, it it didn't really change it that much. So I was like, okay, I think I'm probably pretty close. So I took one line out of GPT's um, version and put that into mine. And then that was the finished version. So it really was kind of co-written. Like, I mean, I, I drafted most of the content, but then it, yeah, it just gave me like the hook and yeah, just like one other line and just kind of phrasing and stuff. So it was really interesting process to use it. Um, I haven't used GPT for anything else particularly, but I struggle with blurbs, even though like I kind of like the art of playing 
with words to get the hookiest version but um i never feel like i have much confidence with them so i appreciate that because that's that fills me with with confidence now yeah <laughs> it's really good yeah i messed around with chat gpt too but it really is only as good as what you put into it, it yeah can't it is made something for you it's based on what you put in so i think if you start with something pretty good it does kind of help tighten it because i think with yeah. words you want to budget each word wants to do as much as possible you don't want anything extra right yeah so that's yeah. so good at tightening that up yeah yeah exactly have you what have you used it like to brainstorm or yes i've played around with making uh dialogue funnier oh oh my god that's a brilliant idea yep it's really cool so you have to go through a lot of iterations and mm. usually it'll spark something i hadn't thought of and then i'll write a different line if that makes sense yeah so i haven't yeah. used exactly what it's given me but I'm like oh that's a different way of that this could go sort of more sarcastic or more you know whatever so it's it's yeah. pretty good, I think it's a good yeah. to pieces like that so I uh, so it's what's interesting for me is that as an I think in an external way so I'm always like gesturing or with post-its or mm -hmm. like bouncing things off friends but if I have nobody to talk to mm -hmm. I found that the GPT can be a good like substitute for that so like that's why I liked the blur because you know I'd like to like have someone in the room and like talk through but then I'm like yeah okay now go away so I can go and hibernate back in my shell and like generate all my energy pennies <laughs> as an introvert <laughs> <laughs> like I need somebody to bounce off of yeah. and that's what I that's I that's what I love it for because you I like you I don't necessarily take anything that it gives me as like standard but it does spark ideas it's almost like a input output kind of feedback yeah. loop in the same way that Pinterest is visually yeah I I found it the same way so don't be scared of it mm. people are having meltdowns about it yeah <laughs> and I was one of them until Joanna Penn talked me yeah. off <laughs> And I'm like, oh, this is fine. She says it's okay. This is gonna yeah. be okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Me too. Me too. So I am sure that Chat GPT did not help you write one of the best first lines <laughs> I have ever read. Made me very jealous that I've never written line this good. Um, and I, <laughs> I don't have your dulcet tones, so I'm going to read your first line in my Miami accent, which is very nasal <laughs> and not BBC English at all. Um, so this is, can I read the first line? Is that okay? Of course, yeah. There are two things I love, winning and angry women. You have told the entire story in one sentence. Yeah. So first of yes. all, I hate you. And <laughs> second of all, how did you come up with that? Was that kind of the seed for the whole story? So... I am obsessed with first lines and I collect them. Like I always talk about the fact that I collect, well, I collect all kinds of sentences, but first lines are some of the things that I collect in particular. And for me, this first line is a first line in two parts because the first line of chapter two is there are two things I hate, playing games and Scarlet fucking Grey. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote those two lines together and I was like, how the hell can I get both of these lines in like and I couldn't get them in the set because they're in different points of view so um uh, that that's how I ended up deciding where they went is I was like okay we're gonna have one on chapter one and one in the first uh, chapter of the other girl's point of view um but in terms of how I wrote it I have deconstructed a lot of first lines and I find that they tend to do one of like a handful of things and um so they're usually hooky um, really good first lines are often copy written. 
So they're not just like a flowing line of description or um, a long line of dialogue. They're usually almost akin to the tagline at the top of a blurb or like the first lines that hook me. That's that's what they're written. So I went in knowing I wanted to write a first line that you could not not read on from. Um, And the other thing that good first lines do, not all first lines need to do this, but like you'll often find that that like a first line will capture the whole story. Um, And I love that. I didn't know I was going to do that. It just turned out that way in the end. Um, And another thing that they can do is either have a lot of character voice Mm-hmm. So they'll either be like super sarcastic or they'll be super grumpy, like um, like a, a kind of grumpy um, anti-hero type protagonist is always moaning about something in the first line. like, And it's usually something really inane that the rest of the population would never moan about. Um, or they're a juxtaposition. And I swear to God, I want to write a whole craft book about the power of juxtapositions because the more I deconstruct, the more I find them everywhere. And like a novel is a juxtaposition. Like the beginning is the opposite to the end always. So like there's so much like that you can go into with it. Um, And so, yeah, what I did was I created the juxtaposition, but across those two sentences. So Scarlet's is about everything she loves and Quinn's is about everything she hates. And, and, and so that's where those two lines came from. And um, yeah, I love the line. I can't, I can't cope with it. It was so good. It was so good. And I didn't even catch that, but subconsciously I did. Right? Yeah, and that's so the point. That is the point, right. is to catch it subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. It, and sorry. No, because it really, it is a bookend. It is a mirror. And it's something that they are such mirrors, these two yes. characters. So I think it's like, you really, it's subtle though. Like, because I honestly, I didn't, I didn't pick up on it. Um, yeah. And it works so well. Thank you. I do pull those two lines through the book. So I think they're both referenced once more because Quinn changed. I don't mm-hmm. think this is a spoiler because it's a romance. So we all know it's going to have a happy ever after. But Quinn no. changes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Especially for the lesbians. For God's sake, stop killing off the gays. Oh my God. Right. Oh, Thank you. Seriously. Uh, I could have a whole rant about a very popular TV show, uh, but I'm not going to that recently. More ended. than one. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I pull, I intentionally pulled these two sentences through the novel and kind of reflected on them and, and changed the phrasing uh, as we go through the novel. But yeah, I love a first sentence and um, I will tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak until like that first, the, the, there are two things I love winning and angry women had about 17 different versions. Like I don't get it on the first go. I mean, I got pretty close but like I chopped and changed right like from angry to seducing women and I was like no that's too like oh, um, yeah, yeah yeah so like I, I played around with it and and just the the first line is honestly the thing that takes me the longest I think yeah well I mean it's an amazing punch um and it's followed up I think what um like a few pages later with the best paragraph I have ever read <laughs> that summarizes again like because I think there's something you do in this story you don't explain anything at the beginning 
we just start. We walk in to the story and it's the reader's job to catch up. And it's not like it's insurmountable, like you don't know what's happening. Um, but I, so first of all, I guess I should ask that. Did you always want to write it that way? As this like heart pounding ride, I'm going to grab you by the collar. We're going and you trust the reader will catch up and you will, you know, sort of catch up. Yes, kind of. So I designed the series for KU. I literally went into writing knowing that I was um, playing for the KU audience. And I think by nature, I am a KU reader or, or, or a reader that prefers that style of book. So to explain, I I went and did a lot of research and I read a lot of KU books. And what I found is I thoroughly enjoyed powering through all of these books. Um, and it plays to everyone drink my strengths because like <laughs> I have activator, um, achiever. So achiever loves finishing, activator loves starting um, and, you know, all the rest of my yellows, which love pace. And so I knew that I wanted to write something that was extremely pacey and extremely hooky. Um, and so in terms of knowing it was going to kind of be like a grip on and, and go like, yes, I tried to make like the end of each chapter, either a question that needed answering, a hook, a bomb being dropped, um, you know, all of those things. Each There are, I think, two chapters that I wasn't very pleased with because I was like, damn it, these could have been, you know, these are opportunities for people to put the book down. And that's what I was trying to avoid, like at the end of each chapter. Um, and I think I managed it quite well because most people who've read the book have said I literally there was no stopping once I started, like I had to. There was no stopping. Yes. There's no bathroom breaks on this trip. <laughs> Hold okay. on. No, they're not. <laughs> so I don't know what two chapters you're thinking of, <laughs> but I can tell you <laughs> there was no place. Yeah. People yeah. are talking to you and you're like, okay, I'm reading. Yeah. Honey, you take out the dog. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> um, so the other things that I did was um, I kept the the prose cleaner than I did in the first series. So like in the first series I wrote, there was a lot of like experimentation, let's say. Yeah. I, you know, I've got a lot of sweeping descriptions and I was playing with like sentence structure and things like that. In this book, the sentences, like although we have sentence length variation, I intentionally wrote shorter sentences. I intentionally played with paragraphs. So like I forced the reader down the page because there's a lot of short paragraphs. So like mm. you end up like skimming down the page, like, and all of this is intentional. I wrote this way, um, like short sentences, playing with space, white space on the page. Mm -hmm. The other thing I did was use a lot of banter. When you have banter in books like that, that is so fast to read because the quips are, are fast between the characters. And so you, you're you dragged through the story. So yeah, like some of the things I didn't necessarily do intentionally, but that was one of the things that I did intentionally. So I knew going in that I wanted to do that. Um, and the other thing is, I think that by wanting to write something super fun, you, you're having fun and therefore like you're typing faster and faster and faster and faster. <laughs> faster and so like it makes the story and the action faster just by the fact that you're having fun um and in terms of the answering your question about the world building I knew 
that I had done too much world building in my first series. And that's like one of the stories started kind of world building or both. Yeah. So I spent months and months and months building the world. And I had about 17 million mood boards and pages and pages of notes. And all that that resulted in was no matter how much I stripped out of that series, there was still too much world in there. Um, So I intentionally started writing before I had everything. So I had to world build on the fly. Um, And that really helped me because it forced me to not put too much in and I had to go back and put some explanations in because I just, I had yeah, really... what you needed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that that was, I mean, I had world building stuff before I started, but not everything that I needed. Um, and I read um, C.L. Polk's, um, even though I knew the end, which is this novella. It's a noir novella, sapphic novella, um, sort of, yeah, noir uh, set in Chicago in some time in a few decades ago. So they do the same in that they expect you to catch up and there's very little explanation. I can't remember if I had read that before or after I started writing. I feel like it was after. Um, but there had been a few books that I'd read recently leading up to starting where they don't they just don't explain anything and you are expected to (laughs) catch up as a reader and I think I think you can only do that in in a slightly lower fantasy story like if you're in a huge sweeping epic fantasy you better make sure there are enough details that the reader can keep up um so yeah that's sort of where I learned to do that Uh, I mean, it honestly works. And I think you can, maybe as writers, sometimes we don't trust our readers. And we think like, oh, if I don't set this whole scene for you before I start, you're going to be lost and you're not going to understand. And I think most people fill in the blanks correctly, right? I mean, we've consumed a lot of story. um, So it's like, we can do it. Trust us, we can do it. Uh, Absolutely. And as long as you're not giving too many bits of world in a short space of time, you're actually okay because often there's enough subtext in the rest of the sentences around it for, for the reader to get enough of an explanation until the actual explanation comes down the line. Um, and so, yeah, exactly. It is about trusting the reader. And, and you know, that is how we learn to read as well. Like often if a child doesn't know what a word means, they can pick up the meaning in and around like with the other words in the sentence. Yeah, context clues. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, like I said, I think it works. And you, in a paragraph, like you told the story in one sentence, (laughs) then you gave me the world in a paragraph. And I think it was, and I think I told you this already, it was very like V.E. Schwab, A Darker Shade of Magic, N.K. Jemisin, The City We Became, where the it's you're not you don't just have a setting right you it's like a living breathing place with feelings and emotions and 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 I'll get a little bit more uh I have another question that's kind of more specific about the tattoos which was genius um but um can I read the paragraph that is yeah of course yeah yeah and again I apologize for my voice um Okay, so this is the paragraph that I honestly think 
just hooks, hooks, hooks you. And you're like, I need to understand this world. New Imperium is far wilder, far darker than it was before the tearing. That in of itself, right? I hate you. Um, <laughs> I, but it goes on. Because now we get into the character. I was only just old enough to go out to the clubs when the world tore. But we were a more civilized people then. Now the city seems to thrive on power and sex and all of our darkest desires. I prefer it that way. So in that paragraph, my friend, you have given me tone, character, setting, world building, backstory, history. I have 45 <laughs> questions after having read that. <laughs> I did. Um, yeah, I never. How long did it take you to write that? Did you pour over it? Did it take a month? What? Well, I know it didn't because you wrote this in 12 minutes. But how? <laughs> Did you craft that? Did you bang that out kind of piece by piece or just that's how it flowed? Yeah, don't don't hate me on that one. That one just came out. Um, I think the reason it came out like that is because what had lived with me for a really long time was the world. So I know lots of people start with character, but nine times out of 10, I start with world because it's, like so, so much of you can change the mood and the atmosphere and create problems and obstacles for the characters based on the world. And and because I'm visual, I have to see where they are in order to be able to put the characters in. I have to know the characters, but I have to see where they are. Um, and so, no, that one, that one came very easily. But again, it's because it's a juxtaposition because what the way the world was before is the opposite of what it is now. Um, and also like, I just wanted to have like the grittiest, sexiest, naughtiest place. <laughs> like, Mission accomplished. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, and it was all about fun. Right. So I was like, why the fuck can't we have this naughty kind of like gritty city where all the buildings and mansions are alive and they all have like these personalities and powers. And like part of me actually wants to have a spin-off series where I do like there, I get to do more with that world building um, because these are romances you get these snippets of the world. Um, but I would love to spend more time like going deeper in like into into their personalities. Cause some of the buildings definitely do have personalities, some more than others. Um, and that's something that I'm trying to work out like how much to give in this next book. Um but yeah, no, in ter in terms of, yeah, I, like I would love to tell you that I spent ages on that. But that's that that one in particular just flew out because I was like me <laughs> just like having fun and, and and typing it um but one of the things that I did do like I said is that I I knew the world before and I spend a long time um like gathering and so I read a lot of coffee table books I don't like books with loads of like beautiful yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah pictures and illustrations in and I also visited I think six or seven different mansions and castles, like on the run up to um, starting to write this book. So I had um, absorbed, absorbed, absorbed like visuals. I took photos um, and, and yeah. So, so 
Yeah, it, it definitely. Look, what I will say is my first drafts are often <laughs> very ugly, but they do have these odd sentences or odd paragraphs where I just know a thing. And so that comes out. But but quite often, you know, I have to refine and and make things prettier, like on, on the final draft. But yeah, setting is one of the things that I know going in usually. And and uh, talking about the mansions and houses, I mean, they really do have these unique and vibrations. And there is one particularly uh, anxiety-inducing one that I forgot to complain to you about. <laughs> so, but I won't say anything else and I'll tell you later what it was. So I was like, like I need to get out of here. Um, so was the idea, so can you explain a little bit about what, the collection tattoos are or is that too yep. spoilery no I don't think so because yeah no I think we can talk about that because it's not it doesn't it, you know it's not to do with the plot particularly so it's just an element of the world building so um to explain the world the power and magic comes from the mansions themselves that that is the source of um the magician's magic and what I wanted is for the mansions to decide who is worthy like I didn't want that to be something that like people had control over you know I hate you know dictatorships and and like I was just like what if it's not us judging ourselves as but worthy or not people or magicians or whatever but like what if it's the owner of the magic which is like a non-human entity choosing who's worthy. So that's kind of where the seed of the idea came from. And then I was like, okay, that's cool, Sasha. But like, how the fuck (laughs) do we like then embody that? (laughs) How the fuck are we going to do that? Um, And one of the things that I love um, are tattoos, but tattoos have such bad stigma around them. Like even in this day and age, I still find like tattoos have really bad bad stigma and, and they get vilified. And so I wanted to turn that on its head and have something that society often vilifies as something, as a symbol of like power and ability and something of value. And so maybe like that's my little rebel rebellion moment in the book. Like I wanted to, to, you know, tell, you know, because I have family members that don't want me to get tattoos, whereas I would have like a leg sleeve, an arm sleeve, like, right. <laughs> yeah, like totally. But also like I faint every time a needle comes out. So and oh. it's, not, it's not because I'm afraid. It's just because I have really low blood pressure. I've only got one tattoo and I definitely fainted. And every piercing. Oh, no. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Because <laughs> I love tattoos and piercings, but I just fucking faint the whole time. Anyway, so I wanted yeah, the mansions to decide who's worthy. So the mansions choose who to like, and I say in air quotes, collect. And if the magician proves worthy in terms of their knowledge and their skill set and their ability after studying in the mansion and studying the mansion's power source, then they can, then the mansion will collect them. And what happens is they go through this like ritual where um, a collection tattooist will uh, create a tattoo on their body that's uh, some kind of symbol connected to the house and the mansion instead of you having ink tattooed into your skin the mansion pours power into the tattoo gun and tattoos power into you and so like that's the little uh way that they are connected with with the mansion so yeah that 
it's super cool. And it comes off um, really, it's really fascinating in the book. And I could see you, if you were interested in a spinoff, writing almost even like a gothic about one of these houses. Um, yeah. Right? I mean, we've got nothing else going on. You have time yeah. to make that up. Because um, <laughs> I think it would be so interesting to just delve into that, you know? Um, so it, I've never seen anything like that. I thought it, we so often think about the world being a setting and not being a character. So right, exactly. Fully, it's fully a main character. Yes, um, definitely. Especially when like some of the mansions are complete like charming little sluts who like to slap characters on the ass and stuff <laughs> with the door and like, things like that. So like, yeah, I definitely like that's the bit that I would love to make more of is to really spend time in one of the mansions. I might, I might do that. I might actually... Even yeah, as a or, short story, I yeah. could see if you did, especially like gothics aren't usually like all that long. Um, yeah. Did something, I don't know. I, I think you definitely have a lot to work with if you want to go in different directions. Yeah, that's uh, a great did, idea. Did you come up with anything for the world that didn't make it to the book that kind of stayed on the cutting room floor? So for this series, not so much. The first series, definitely, like I said, but the mistake I made was spending way too long um, world building before I started. And that's not to say that my process is right or the definitive one, because that isn't the case for other people with different strengths. But for me, I think starting sooner rather than later is definitely the way forward. So I actually had to like write notes to myself in capital letters like you, you so there's a character, a male character all the way through the book that was just labeled in capital letters as their like familial um, title is that's uh-huh. that's all I'm going to say. And uh-huh. so the whole yep. way through, like that's how they were referred to. And I had to like do a control find and like find and replace <laughs> when I decided their name. Um, but yeah, like. I think because I'm high learner and because I'm high input, I could well build for days, weeks, months, years before starting. So forcing myself to start meant actually I had to make decisions on the fly. And that had consequences when I was editing. So I have revised my process so that when I go into the next one, I have to, I'm only allowed, I I can do that, but I have to make the decisions by the end of the day. Um, Otherwise I take too long in editing. But saying that, because like I'm an outliner, but I chronically under outline, <laughs> I I definitely because you uh, like a challenge. Yeah, I definitely find that um, I have a lot of excess words at the end, even though I underwrite. It's the weirdest thing. But what usually happens is there are two or three chapters that just get removed in their entirety. So I've got about 10K that didn't go into this book that just got whipped out. And the other way that happens is in flash fiction. So um, uh, maybe you'll come to this. I think maybe, I think you're going, maybe I'll talk about this a little bit more uh, in the next, in the next question, but the flash fiction is really important for me. Well, now I want to know what you mean by that. We can't be, be hanging. See, this is what the book was like. Yes, like, a little bit. And you're like, I'm sorry, what? And then... <laughs> okay, okay. So um, I mentioned that the seed for the mansions came first in terms of like w- where I started with this world. So the, the mansions came first and the magic coming from them. And then Scarlet appeared. 
So, but she appeared in Flash Fiction and there's a scene, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but there's a scene where she comes face to face with a blade that she's never seen before. And the blade almost, like I tried to personify the blade and to give the blade like almost personality and 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 there's a line i can't quite remember exactly how it goes but it's something like one it's almost as if it's saying hello one predator to another oh, yeah. and that's that is the first thing i wrote in this whole book that was the oh, first wow. thing i wrote yeah and i just had this really strong scene or vision of scarlet meeting a blade um that she would fall in love with this blade and <clears throat> so that that happened in flash fiction. And then there are other things that that sort of go on in these snippets of 100, 100 words or whatever. And, but funnily enough, originally, this wasn't going to be a romance. This, Quinn was Earl. Quinn was a boy called Earl. And this oh. whole series was going to be more of a bromance than a romance and it was like more terry pratchett meets jim butcher and all about sort of like male female friendship and what that looks like and like this you know conflicting couple as friends and and what that looks like but then i started reading smart and my whole world changed so (laughs) (laughs) and then i put that put that to bed (laughs) unintended and uh yeah and it became yeah, it became a romance. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I think you were, again, without spoilers, you were very effective in your goal of personifying a goal and a personality on a lot of inanimate objects, which I think yeah. adds a vibrance to the story, but definitely the blade. I mean, you can, and other things, you know, like the coin, if I can, you know, mention it's like you give. I know. I can't believe you came up with it. It's so good. So this coin. Merchandising queen. I know. So the funny thing is, I brought this coin before I even started writing the book. And yeah, so I brought this coin when I brought um, a set of tarot cards. And I brought the tarot cards not to do tarot, but because they were pieces of art. And I actually want to frame them all because the set is stunning and I want them on my um, wall. And anyway, and I saw this yes, no fake coin. And I, I'm i like, I don't believe in fate. Like, no one gets to control me. Um, and, I, <laughs> and I just loved the idea of having a coin, like, and a character who was so flippant that they yes. would just, you know, toss the coin, like, and, and like somebody so present in the moment that they would be, they would just roll with the punches. And so that's, so then I was like, wow, why don't I include the coin? And so then I was like, well, I've got the coin, so I might as well use this exact coin. And so I described it like, and it's got the, the, the ruby red color and then the gold on the other side. So I brought two more of these coins and um, one of, and one of them will go to whoever wins the pre-order in incentive because I was like this is a great idea um but it was a fucking nightmare trying to get them because they they're American (laughs) and like I had to get them sent to my friend and then my friend to send them to me otherwise it was like seven million pounds to have them shipped to the UK yeah it's absurd um and but I think it's 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 so genius because it so personifies Scarlett's character who I also wanted to murder. I am a <laughs> Stan, a Quinn Stan, right? I'm here for Quinn. I'm Team Quinn. Okay. I was like, 
poison her. I but also totally get why y'all are hooking up because it's like I <laughs> help it. But it's, she is Scarlet is such a flippant character, right? She's kind of like glib and yeah. you know like what everything's kind of whatever. And it's like to make sometimes life and death choices by flipping a coin. I know, right? It's me, Agita, <laughs> Sasha. I'm a control freak. What are you doing to me? I know, I know, and I am as well. Like I would never do that, but which is exactly <laughs> why I was like, I need her because. But this is a funny thing, isn't it? Because everyone's always like, "Oh, did you put yourself in the characters?" And I'm like, "Well, no, because I would never do that." Like, can you fucking imagine me letting a coin decide? Are you crazy? I know exactly. If I can turn the coin to the way I want it to yeah. land. <laughs> exactly. Then, yes. Exactly. Um. But yeah. But saying that. Flipping a coin like that, it's a game, right? And the yeah. whole point of this oh, book is that it's a game. And so I was like, how can I twist and put all of these like spins on what competition is or what a game is or what enemies and lovers are? And so, yeah, like I I loved that. And then that, so when I started uh, writing it, I was like, oh, I'm gonna um, like have loads of puns in there about flicking the coin and you know like all of these like and then like in the end I just couldn't do it because you know it there are certain points that you have to use the coin and then certain points that you you know you're not going to use it in there but that's why I wanted to um give it a name and like make it almost uh, like it I always refer to it as the sentient little bastard because it always does what Scarlet doesn't want and that's kind of the point right is to torture your characters right (laughs) it's what she doesn't want to do but what she absolutely has to do and knows she has to do yeah doesn't want to do so yeah I think it's a very um it adds I think obviously this level of play which is really vibrant throughout throughout the story I, I think I told you, it's like, I can tell that you had so much fun writing this and that you wrote this at a breakneck pace because I read that at a breakneck pace. So it's like, and it adds to it, right? Because it's kind of this unpredictable, well, I mean, realistically, it could go either way, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, what is she going to do? And then you know what she wants to do. So it gives you this interplay between her, I get her, these inanimate objects, just like Quinn's journal, right? It's mm-hmm. these important centerpieces that represent the character and are so different, but they're really more manifestations of like the character's personality. So your character building without the reader seeing any character building, you're not telling me that she's flippant and that she doesn't give a shit. You're telling me within the first chapter that she's going to make a choice depending on the coin lens. And then she does it, right? She doesn't flip again. She doesn't, she's like, all right, well, here we are. And it's like, you yeah. said everything, you know, Ugh, I can't with you. <laughs> no, I love um, it. And funny enough, you've just given me an idea for book two. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, we need to talk about using secrets as a source of conflict. Yeah. And I yeah. don't know how to frame the question carefully because okay. I really don't, it's, I think that's one of those things, like once you know to expect something, it ruins how satisfying something is. Yeah. So yeah. maybe I'll yeah. ask you in general terms and not specific to this story, how you came up with using a secret and its revelation to kind of create tension, hold tension and 
create a turning point in the story and use conflict because I really don't want to spoil it or even over amp it yeah because you know you want to come to something fresh I think that's why it's good right that's why usually I don't like books that are hyped because then I'm like oh why are you making in my mind that this wasn't it it doesn't mean it's bad it just wasn't it yeah yeah yes exactly yeah I also don't like hyped books for that reason um Okay, so I think it comes from two places. One is that I knew I wanted the book to be Enemies to Lovers. And I'd read a lot of Enemies to Lovers stories. And there are two ways to do Enemies to Lovers. The first one is that they meet and become enemies from chapter one onwards. And then later they become lovers. And then the other way to play enemies to lovers is that they they have met prior to chapter one starting and they already have a history when they start the book. And that I don't think is a spoiler because there's a prequel, uh, which is all about that, um, how they originally met and they're meet cute. Um, And I much prefer when they have a history. And I think when characters in general know each other and have a history or when you know their history, it's a lot easier to have secrets and things that have gone gone on because you have a longer time span. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing is to like have a longer time span so that you can plant things across that time span. Um, and then the other thing that I really like in books that I read is like causality. So mm-hmm. when character histories are connected, so like like with the enemies to lovers, when they are connected, you are then able to have something in the past that is causal to the end of the book. And like, I don't, my connectedness, everybody drink is, I don't know, like maybe 15 or 16, something like that. So it's not super high, but some of my favorite books are when the subplots are all into like, all, all interwoven. And that's something that I do try really hard to do. And you never know who's gonna be connected because I'm never going to tell you like, going into the story. <laughs> but like some people are connected. I don't think that's a spoiler. Like, you you know, um, that's the case in all of my books in the first series as well. And the other reason that I like secrets is because it's a twist. You don't know how that secret's going to play out and you can play with who knows what information. And um, there are secrets revealed all the way up to the epilogue, mm-hmm. like in the, in this, in this book. Um but yeah, what I like is that um, you you get to reveal snippets to the reader and you can also like allude to them early on. And that then is a hook that drags the reader through because they want to know the answer. Um, and the other thing that I really like about secrets is when an author will reveal them at the worst possible moment. And what I mean by that is like when you're looking for maximum impact, right? Like, or maximum damage, like for the- yeah, for the, the highest stakes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I've read some books that that do, like I think romance in general does that really well because there is like a structure that you can follow. Um, yeah, and then there's other things like character, like you can wind the reader up or the characters up even by like try-fail cycles. So a hero always has a try-fail cycle. And that should be the case across everything, like across getting over their wound, getting over an obstacle, and also like trying and failing to tell a secret. Like those try-fail cycles should go across everything that they do. Um, and that 
is like, oh, you're out the reader up, then you drop them, oh, you're out the way, and then you never know, like, when anything is coming. I mean, I think especially when it's, you've put so much thought into the fail of revealing the secret, because I think it's like, you don't use any cheap gimmick, right? So it's like, it's very easy. Your first thought is, well, someone comes in and interrupts them and they're talking. Most cases in life, you can just be like, I'm sorry, I'm having an important conversation. I will be right with you, right? But if you make that other thing impossible to ignore or the other person tells you something before you're able to say this, catches you off guard. Like there's a lot of different ways that I think you can live in the skin of like the secret revealer. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why you can't reveal or now the stakes are so high. Like I just can't, maybe I'll just keep the secret. Right. Maybe I could, maybe that's an option. I can do that, you know, but it's like, of course it's not really an option, you know? Yeah. But I, So I, I think it's giving that a lot of thought, I think makes it that much more delicious. Right. Cause it's like, you can understand why the secret hasn't come out yet. Absolutely. And the other thing that works particularly well in stories with dual point of view is is the placement of the information. So if you place the information towards the end of a scene, there is absolutely no possible way that you can get the answer out in that scene. And then nine times out of 10, you're flipping into somebody else's point of view. And so that prolongs uh, when you're going to get the, the information. So like- That's good pain. Exactly. So that's why you can't put it down, right? I, exactly. But it's like, and I think it's, it's what draws you in and it makes you feel these visceral feelings and it places you in the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, you gave me a new, uh, a new obsession with using secrets as almost like um, plot twists and mysteries, right? Where you Definitely. Just, these cool reveals and it's like expectations subverted and all this stuff. So, uh, yeah, super and fun. The, the other the other thing I like about the fact that I'm a chronic underplotter, uh, even though I'm a plotter, is that um, it enables me to come up with twists. So there's a, there's a particular twist, and I'll tell you which one afterwards. I didn't know that was going to happen until I wrote it in that scene. And, um, like, and then I had to go back and seed it because... I hadn't obviously seeded it, but it just gave me enough of a, like I knew there was something there. Okay. And so I, yeah, but, but it enables me to then go, Oh, here you go. And if I don't know, how's a reader going to know? <laughs> so, right. so, so then I go back and put, so I actually think for this would be a great book to reread because I have tried to very subtly put in clues to two of the reveals later down the line. And like, I asked my, because my wife read it and she was like, I got that one and I didn't get that one. And so I was like, ha ha, because she's really like good at picking up on like secrets and things. So yeah, like, ha ha, I felt smart. (laughs) Pat yourself on the back because you got me. (laughs) Uh, So how much do you know about book two? Do you have it plotted out totally or... Book two isn't that right? Okay, so I've written thirty thousand words of book two, and I literally decided this week to bin them um, because I one of the one of the things that I really love about book one is that it is not overcomplicated. Like that's one of the things that I learned from the first series is that I overcomplicated it, um, and it's still like 
I don't reread books, but I've reread Keepers. I don't know how many times because it was like the first one and I love the story and I love that, like that is a rich world. And yeah. like, I love going back to that. It feels like home. Um, but it was too complicated for easy access for readers. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I love about this book is that it is so accessible in terms of yes it's fantasy but it's it's easy access access fantasy um and it's obviously primarily romance so it's definitely romance and then the fantasy comes like as as part and parcel of it and i did two things it was a heist and it was enemies to lovers book two i I picked like three things and I was trying to do three things and I was like, this is not working. And so I wrote 30K and ground to a massive halt. I redid the outline, redid the outline, trying to fix it and still do all of these things. And then like I was speaking to my strengths coach and I was just like, this is not working. Um, and and I was like, I I we spent an over an hour trying to pull apart. And then in the end, I was like, I'm cutting this trope. Let's go back to the beginning and like rework it now. And so I the outline is here on my wall, and I'm about halfway through the outline. So this week the outline will be finished, and then I will write it um starting on the 20th so I've put it up for pre-order this is the first time I've ever put a pre-order up without having written the book um I know I'm shitting my pants but (laughs) what I can tell you is that it's a second chance romance and um there is uh like an investigation in it um and well I say investigation okay a better term is a long con so it's a long con and second chance First one was Enemies to Lovers and Heist. This one is Second Chance and Long Con. And that's the way I'm going to play all of the books in this series, I think, is like the main romance trope and then one kind of other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I now know everything about book two. (laughs) I just haven't written it yet. All right. Hey, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it? Can I ask you if it follows the same two leads, or do you want to keep that to yourself? I, I won't reveal on the podcast. Okay. But if you read the book, I would be gobsmacked if you couldn't work out who the next two leads are. It. I set it up very obviously. Um, in book one for who who the next leads are and if you've if you like if you go and look because the second book I've just revealed the name is a game of romance and ruin um so if you go on to the (laughs) if you go on to the pre-order page you can see who the book is about like I don't have the official blurb but you I, I say who who the characters are um so each so there's a there's a team and each of the books in this series will be from one of the other characters' points of view. Um, and as somebody who's read the book, I'm going to tell you a secret about one of the books because I didn't know that that was going to happen until I started writing book two. So I'm going to tell you that because that's a well good like about who who's, who a romance is. But I'll tell you that after. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, I love an age gap. So it was like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so. Okay, I'll tell you. I won't bait you into uh... yeah. <laughs> revealing. <laughs> um, so what about the world building for book two? Were you able to just use everything and expound upon it? Or did you pull any new threads that you hadn't thought about before? 
Yes, one major new thread. So I am seeding in this book other series. So I know my next series, yes, my next series is a vampire series. I know this for sure. And so Sangui City is based in the same world and it's going to have a couple of references in this book, but that's about it. Like, so I will just seed Easter eggs. So when I do like the vampire series, I will seed this. But what I want is for the magic and world, the, the world to be a universe so that I can seed and have crossover. I can't say that either. I nearly, because what I will say is there are going to be crossover characters. That's it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I can't say anything else. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. we're making cameos. Yes. Series. And people yes. love it. I mean, I love that. When you recognize yeah. somebody, I know you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. There's nothing better than when, you, like, your favorite characters from, from one place then pop up in the other. Like, but you can't, I didn't do that. Like with my first series, I didn't think further than the end of the series. And so mm. I couldn't set anything up. Whereas in this, I know even if I don't always do sh like LGBT romance, mm -hmm. it, it's, I'm going to write romance for a while. And so yeah. um, I knew I wanted to seed like other cities and I know the next city is definitely a vampire city. So yeah, I sort of seeded that in. Are you going to have them running at the same time, sort of existing at the same time or time is progressing through the story? So if we get to another series, it'll be in year three of our series or is it going to be all happening kind of contemporaneously? I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because one of yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know is the answer to that because the 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 crossover character will determine that, I think. But I'm not my brain isn't there yet because it's later yeah. in the series. So yeah, I, it's probably going to I think time will run on for the most part. There's there's <laughs> this is so hard because I sound like such a knob. <laughs> there's a romance that I'm setting up in book two which is a different book that might run concurrently. But, okay. but other than that, I think it will probably run in chronological order. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm going to read all of it. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, I get, we already talked a little bit about how writing the second book compares with the first. Do you, I find it harder to work in world building I've already done. Do you find it easier to use what you've already done? Because I feel like I have to go back or did you use like a series Bible? Are you keeping track of what yeah. you've done? I to do that, so. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did that during the edits of the first book. So I'm expecting the second book to be quicker purely because I did stop and take the time to like, and I say that I'm still finding that like I didn't actually write enough. Like there are certain characters that, are very clear in my head. And then when I've gone to search for the sentence of description, it's not in the book. And I'm like, oh, did I not describe <laughs> like what was in my head? Like you can tell this was a racy book, you know, but actually nine times out of 10, a reader will make their own picture of what a character looks like anyways. And yeah. if you've got personality information, they'll make it up anyway. So it really doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, so I've got a Bible and that um, that is enabling me to be quicker. Like, and the thing that I'm terrible at is like spellings and um yeah stuff like that 
This is the Rebel Author Podcast. Tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. So my rebellion this time comes from when I was a teenager and I was uh, the lead actress in a CBBC show called Face at the Window. Um, And this was a thing that went on TV. And I was 15 at the time of recording, which meant that I was still in school and still legally uh, meant to be doing schoolwork. And they also had to have what what they call chaperones for the kids who are basically teenagers come babysitters who sit there and make you do all of the work but um so they (laughs) I can't believe I did this they were like oh what uh what work should you be doing and they were like you need to go to the school and ask what work you should be doing so I went to the school and the school were like oh you should be doing this But what I very rapidly realized is that the school weren't talking to the chaperones and the chaperones weren't talking to the schools. So I decided to just not tell them. (laughs) And I managed to negotiate my way into very little work from the school and uh, told the chaperones that I had none and decided to do it at a later date. And so basically I got to sit on set doing nothing but like looking pretty, learning my lines and reading books for the fun of it. Uh, And, uh, you know, like talking to all of the set people and learning everything that I could because I was a little geek. And all of the other kids uh, in the show had to sit there and do schoolwork. (laughs) So I would sit there feeling rather smug uh, with a shit eating grin, I have to be honest. Okay, that is it for this episode. You can get A Game of Hearts and Heists uh, digitally on Amazon. It is in Kindle Unlimited. This is the only book of mine that is in Kindle Unlimited. Um, And you can get the paperbacks anywhere. Uh, I have loaded it via Ingram. So if you are a paperback reader, you can get it anywhere. Uh, Thank you so much to JJ for hosting this episode. I really, really appreciate it. If you would like to sign up and get the prequel absolutely free, uh, it's a novella and it is the run-up lead-up to A Game of Hearts and Heist and how Scarlet and Quinn met, fought and fucked, let's be honest, Uh, then you can by signing up on my website, which is rubyroe.co.uk and you'll see the sign up everywhere on there. I think it's a pop-up as well. You can follow me on TikTok where I mostly, that is the only social for Ruby Rose. So you can follow me on TikTok. You can just type in Ruby Rose author and you will find me. An enormous thank you to JJ Arias. You can find all of JJ's links and information in the show notes. But as I said, JJ is coming back to do an episode uh, all of her own. And uh, yeah, so thank you JJ so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's patrons and all of the show's listeners. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black and also Ruby Rowe. (laughs) And you were listening to JJ Arias and Ruby (laughs) Rowe. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Jessie Kniff, and we are going to be talking all about writing a good book blurb. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.